2: The Exxon Radio Show is heard on radio broadcast affiliates worldwide, including... AM 580 CFRA in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. WPUL AM 1590 in Daytona Beach, Florida. KOHI AM 1610 in St. Helens, Oregon. KHRO AM 1150 in El Paso, Texas. And for more information on becoming a professional broadcast affiliate of the Exxon Radio Show, visit... www.xzbn.net Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Robin Connell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network, XONE Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and on Star Cable. 1 800 610 7035 is worldwide toll free. My email address exxon at XONE radio TV.com on MSN Messenger, XONE radio TV at hotmail.com. And our website, TV.com. Jim Roney is my special guest this hour. We're going to be talking to Jim about his book. That was published in November of last year, entitled The Extraterrestrial Answer Book, UFOs, Alien Abductions, and the Coming E.T. Presence. This is the second book that Jim's written. And uh, from the UFO Roswell incident to astronaut sightings and claims of alien abductions, reports of E.T. contact have increasingly, dramatically increased in recent decades. Also on the rise is the interest of all things extraterrestrials, as evidenced by everything from ABC's new V2 discussions at the highest levels of world governments, not to mention the UN, acknowledging the existence of ETs. Exonation in 1987, our guest this hour, Jim Maroney, had an ET encounter at a small truck stop just outside of Manitoba, Canada, that changed his life forever. He spent the next 20 years studying the phenomenon of extraterrestrials. And the Extraterrestrial Answer Book, which is published by Hampton Roads Publishing, will provide answers to all of your questions about visitors from the other planets. Joining us now from Calgary, Alberta, is our good friend Jim Maroney. And Jim, always great having you here on the X-Zone.
3: That's wonderful, Rob. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm excited about it.
2: Hey, congratulations on book number two. And uh, what was your inspiration for book number two?
3: Well, essentially, Rob, I think you just you know your introduction was wonderful in the sense that it it's encompassing some of the changes that are actually occurring very rapidly over the last you know four or five years, and I really felt that it would be appropriate to actually put this book together to try and address or trying to build a, a gap or bridge the gap mm-hmm. between you know, what we currently know or what, what we're supposing is actually happening out there versus what's really happening. So there's a lot to be discovered in this area. There's a lot of questions that we're still struggling to answer. And I really try to just give the bare bones of, you know, this is exactly what we know. And here's, you know, from that what we know, here's how we can extrapolate that knowledge to predict what we're, what's going to happen in the future.
2: Jim, is the bridge between science and ufology closing? Is that gap finally becoming one where science is taking ufology much more seriously?
3: Yeah, you, Rob, you know what? We need to really build that bridge mm-hmm. <laughs> between the science and the ufology, and, and yet some of the traditional science is really disheartening. For example, when Stephen Hawking made his claim, oh,
1: gosh, that yeah.
3: famous one, yeah, just a little while ago, about, you know, we have to watch out for extraterrestrials, you know, we have to be cautious about it the challenging thing to me is is that you know when you have a gentleman and I'm not really disrespecting Stephen Hawking in any way but sometimes scientists fall into this trap where they we, they make comments on a particular subject matter which they've not taken any time to research and it's quite clear that we can apply really good science to the study of UFOology. Jim, you and I have to take a
2: commercial break. Sorry about this, pal. Please stand by. Jim Maroney and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break, Exxon Nation. Whatever you do, don't go away. We'll be back in two.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them.
1: And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some
2: money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help Not much.
1: How about you? I'm not sure why I called. I guess I really just wanted to talk to you. And I was thinking maybe later on we could get together for a while.
2: It's been such a long time and I really do miss you. Exo Nation, Jim Maroney our special guest. He's also the director of the Alberta UFO Study Group. His website, www.aufosg.com. He's got a brand new book that came out in, well, it's, it's still brand new, November of 2009, The Extraterrestrial Answer Book, UFOs, Alien Abductions, and the Coming ET Presence. Before we went to the commercial break, I, I had asked you if the bridge between science and ufology is getting any... Closer, and you know, you brought up the point about Dr. Stephen Hawkins and his his comments, where we have to be careful about the UFO presence or the UFO uh, experience, because they could, in fact, be the have the same effect on the population of this planet that Europeans had on the members of the First Nations when the Europeans came over here to to uh, to North America and the diseases that they brought with them. But my my question to you, Jim, is with all the people that are reporting alien abductions, contacts, where apparently there has already been this contact, and no one, to my knowledge, has ever suffered a disease that science cannot explain directly attributed to their encounter. So, you know, what was Stephen Hawkins thinking, for God's sake?
3: Yeah, you know, it's hard to think. You know, it's It's hard to really guess where he was coming mm. from. I think what he was doing was he was just giving a supposition about what he thought. And the one thing I will agree with Stephen Hawking's was that life is likely to be prevalent throughout the universe. Yeah. And that seems to be pretty consistent. Obviously, for those people like myself who have an encounter experience, it, it really shatters your worldview about everything. And it, it, it was like a complete starting point back in 1987 for me. And looking and trying to understand... What we have to do to make the changes we need to do in order to understand what's actually happening is going to be quite a challenge for us. And I, I don't know if it's going to be resolved rapidly, but I think we're, we have to make that scientific effort to really look into the phenomenon in a, in a way, because that's what people want. People really want the best information mm-hmm. on the subject. They're entitled to it. They want it, and yet we have a lot of conjecture out there, a lot of misinformation, a lot of conflicting information, and we really need to move you know, past that stuff and focus on what we actually know and then develop programs and systems that we can use to analyze what's actually happening and report back to the public mm-hmm. in a way that the public can actually trust the information that they're getting.
2: You know, it's so often within the UFO community that information is kept very close because everyone wants to be the organization or the group that finally breaks the, you know, comes <laughs> forward with a smoking gun. And they only realized that if you share the information like law enforcement does, intelligence agencies, as well as members of the military, that the more information that you get out there, the faster you get the responses and the uh, and uh, the action can be taken appropriately. Um so so let me ask you this, Jim. You've had an encounter. Why do you believe that these extraterrestrials are actually here?
3: Well, Rob, what we're dealing with, and this is the thing that a lot of scientists have been confused about, this is what I'm going to call it the game changer, mm-hmm. and that is they're here because this is an intervention. This is not contact. This is not a process of contact. This is not contact in the conventional sense. First and foremost, what we are dealing with here is an intervention. And because of that, it completely changes the way we have to look at what's actually happening. And you begin to understand, and it starts to make sense, why it's happening the way it is happening. Uh, These beings obviously have the ability to interact with individuals. It's their preference to do that right now. And, uh, I mean, Rob, you know, I'm probably out there in, <laughs> uh, in, in a sense of not being in a consensus with the UFO community on things like alien technology, and that's mm-hmm. a whole other subject and stuff like this. I don't really think we have that, you know, really for us right now. But I believe that my, and again, from my experience that what we're dealing with is an intervention we don't know exactly the context in which this intervention is taking place in other words we don't know exactly what they're trying to do we have some ideas about what they're trying to do and the idea is is that they're trying to initiate some kind of rapid spiritual development in the human race we still don't fully understand exactly what that means but part of that is linked to some kind of biological component which requires them to abduct people to not just perform medical observations on these individuals, but actually try to initiate some kind of change. And yet we still don't understand exactly what that change is. We may not until the change actually happens. So it's really a fascinating you know, subject area right now, and there's certainly a lot to actually be learned from you know, abductees. In fact, I had an opportunity just two weeks ago to shake the hands of, um, of uh, Travis Walton. Oh, he's a
2: great
0: and
3: guy. He- yeah, and uh, you know what? I gotta tell you, Rob. It was one of the first times in in my life that I, I just felt I, I don't know a unique presence of just being able to shake the hand of another human being mm-hmm. who had that I can trust in my heart, that had a similar experience in a sense that, that I had. My experience was different than Travis's experience, but the idea of the psychological trauma associated with it, the struggle to integrate it into you know your life in a healthy way is is real it's it's a real challenge. Now, I always thought that I was an open-minded guy, you know, until I had the experience and then I realized <laughs> holy crap, you know, I have my limitations like everybody else. And it took a it took a long time over, you know, many years basically to make sure that you know I had my feet grounded, I had you know continued with my career and everything else like that. But also I never lost this importance of this this focus that I need to do something to try and educate everybody about what's actually happening. So really, when I wrote the book, it's not about me. It's really about all of us. It's about what's going to be happening to us. It's how to prepare for what's going to be happening. It's predictions on based on the solid evidence that we have to date and also a guideline about what governments need to be doing right now to prepare for it. One of the challenges that we ran into was the fact that you know people keep looking maybe for the government to do something. And that could be a long way. I mean, if you don't hold your breath on that one, I don't know, you'd be pretty disappointed.
2: Well, look what so. they're doing in the Gulf of Mexico, for goodness sake. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: You know, yeah. there's a natural disaster that just keeps on getting worse every day.
3: It, it really does, Rob. You know, and in my background in emergency planning of my, my educational background mm-hmm. and, and work experience has to do with health and safety. And part of that I got involved with emergency planning. And to me, there's a real correlation between what's currently happening in the UFO phenomenon and the need to basically put some kind of emergency plan in place. I'll call it that, for lack of a better term, but some kind of plan in place to deal with what's going to be coming. And uh, I, I always get nervous, Rob, by the fact that politicians, and I deal with governments regularly, but politi- and not just on the UFO phenomenon, but you know more <laughs> standard things like health and safety initiatives and those types of things and, and regulations. But what I've seen is that governments will often rush to make policies without fully understanding the issues. And my concern is obviously that if they're put into that situation where they either don't have the policies in place or they try to create policies, that they're going to make huge mistakes in developing policies. And uh, I really want to be able to position myself and a number of other people so that we could act as advisors to the, you know, government about what they need to be doing and how they need to be reacting to this really incredible phenomenon.
2: Is it a phenomenon or is it a threat?
3: It's not a threat, uh, but I don't believe, Rob, that we are going to be, uh, that all human beings are going to come to the conclusion that they're not a threat. I think there's always going to be a portion of us, at Mm -hmm. least for the next 20 to 30 years, that will consider them a threat. Um, It's just the nature of human beings. It's just the nature of who we are. It's a sad part of our, our, you know, part of us, but that's the way it is. And this contact or this intervention is happening, you know, thousands of years, probably before it should have. It's happening under the worst possible circumstances. And I can't believe it's easy for these beings as well. Um, You know, we we sometimes consider, you know, that there might be some altruistic kind of idea that they might have for interacting with us, but really they're here just to help us. Their desire is that at some point in time in our future that we will have a more intimate relationship with them and that we'll be able to share, you know, um, just experiences and those types of things. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a thousand years in the future, you know, humanity will do something wonderful or that the universe needs us. But at this point in time, you know, we're at a very critical part in our development. And their perception is is that humanity is heading down a path right now that without some kind of intervention, we're not going to make it. And that, to me, is really, um, you know, is really startling. So it's been very difficult for me. The experiences aren't easy, but I I know that I have to do what I can to get by those types of difficulties, by those experiences, to try and understand them a little bit and to try and understand what's actually happening in order for us to kind of develop a relationship that we understand and that it's a little bit smoother, a little bit easier of a transition than it otherwise might be.
2: Who are they and where do they come from,
3: Jim? Rob, you know, when I was with them, um, distinctly non-human, obviously, Mm -hmm. And I spend a lot of time when I was with them trying to figure out how they evolved. You know, where did they come from? What what kind of environment did they come from? And it's very difficult. I think that their perception is is that they come from the universe. They don't really, in a sense, may have a they may have evolved from a home planet somewhere, mm-hmm. but they don't consider them as you know I belong here. They just they the best way I could describe it was one gentleman described in a sense when he asked them, where do they, you know, where do you come from? And their response was, we come from everywhere. Mm. And I think that's probably a more accurate answer, a more accurate response to where they come from. I don't know, Rob, how many species there actually are. I mean, some people claim there's 21 or 22, but frankly, you know, we don't really know. Uh, But we do know that there's more than one or pretty, you know, and and that's just relative logic, right? Sure. if, you know, if one is here, then there's likely more than one. And what they're doing and how these species interact or interrelate with each other is still really a question we don't fully understand at this point. But at least one species has decided to take a leadership role in in this direct interaction and, and involvement with human beings. Jim, stand and by, my just...
2: friend. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom oh. of the hour. Explanation. Nation, Jim Maroney is our special right. guest of this hour. He's the author of the extraterrestrial answer book, UFOs, Alien Abductions, and the Coming E.T. Presence. His website, www.aufosg.com. Jim is also the director of the Alberta UFO Study Group. Once again, the website, www.aufosg.com. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away.
1: You're listening to the Exxon
2: Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network x Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at TV.com. On MSN Messenger, X-Zone radio TV at hotmail.com. And our website, TV.com.
0: Why do I feel like I'm losing?
2: XO Nation, Jim Maroney is our guest. It's always great having Jim on the show with us. He is the director of the Alberta UFO Study Group. He's also the author of two books. His latest book, "The Extraterrestrial Answer Book: UFOs, Alien Abductions, and the Coming ET Presence." His website: www.aufosg.com. Jim, what was it with uh, what was it that makes you believe after your encounter with? The extraterrestrials that you had in 1987—that they pose no threat to—that they pose no threat to humanity.
3: Well, in my experience, Rob, there was, this whole experience that I had was carefully planned and mm-hmm. detailed, uh, right to uh, everything that happened to me that particular evening. And they knew they knew they were aware of me. They they knew me long before that particular incident. So why
2: don't why don't we do this, Jim? For the many listeners that we that have come to the Nation with our new broadcast affiliates and our networks, why don't we take them back to 1987 and share your experience,
3: if you don't mind? Sure, not at all. I pulled into a truck truck stop after driving about 10 or 11 hours, and uh, my uh, my idea was was actually to get a little bit of sleep. I figured, you know, truck stops, you know, truckers are in there sleeping in their cabs, you know. Well, I should be able to get a little bit of sleep in there, too, as well. Yeah, well, there's a big difference between a 16-wheeler and a little back place that you can sleep in and being nice and quiet versus a Honda Civic. (laughs) Yes. I I pulled in. I I had the little 1987 Honda Civic, pulled into the truck stop, moved myself over to the passenger side, put the seat back. Took out a blanket and tried to pull it over me to see you get a little bit of warmth because even though it was in mid August, it was still actually gets cool here in in Canada, particularly in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. I actually tried to roll down the windows a little bit to get a little bit of air into the car, but uh, actually the, the incessant mosquitoes that tried to come in. And if you're around Winnipeg, let me tell you, oh, tell you it doesn't yeah. matter what. You-
2: <laughs> it's it's true. In in Winnipeg, the mosquitoes were for coats. Yeah,
3: <laughs> absolutely. So I, I rolled up all the windows, everything. Tried to get some sleep, but the, you know, the, the transport trucks kept coming in. kept you know, I really couldn't get any sleep at all. And uh, here comes another truck, you know, transport truck. Oh man, I'm thinking to myself, is this guy ever getting close? And um, next thing I know, that the the lights, the headlights, are moving over top of the car. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Now the lights were so bright i couldn't actually look into them and so i still had my eyes closed you know it's just like it's just a extremely brilliant light Mm -hmm. and now these the the lights are moving over top of the car now i know this because i have a sunroof on the car and again you know I, i had the seat positioned back i had the the seat moved back and uh... then this incredible paralysis and this overwhelming fear came and uh... i was essentially at the same time somehow beamed or moved onto the ship. And the next minute, I'm standing beside my car on board this ship with these beings, distinctly non-human, standing in front of me. And this whole transition, it took just a few seconds, but it was extremely painful. I mean, I don't know what they did to me to get me on board the ship. I don't know, materialize me or dematerialize me or something. But man, I'll tell you, it was really unpleasant and that process alone scared the bejevers out of me and uh, so here i was i just finished getting hurt mm-hmm. i find myself in a completely different environment and i got these beings in front of me and i'm totally lucid completely awake and i am you know, the first thing i did is i started yelling at them and screaming at them that they didn't have a right to do this what the hell were they thinking you know they you know put me back what are you guys doing mm-hmm. you know you're not allowed to do this you're not, you not shouldn't be you know quite i was been quite indignant <laughs> essentially with them And then one being just stood forward, and immediately I was calm. It it was really unusual. It was as if they have this ability to kind of – well, they do. They have this ability to calm you down. And um, I would compare it to some kind of uh, really powerful kind of hypnotic suggestion or something along those lines because my actions – when I was with them wasn't always, I could look at it now, it didn't always seem reasonable or rational in some sense. So there's certainly some influence that they had over me, over my behavior. And um, on board the ship, I'll make it kind of a long story short, but uh, these beings themselves ranged from four and a half feet tall. They had the blue eyes, blue pupils, um, So they, you know, but their pupils were, and their eyes were large, about three or four times larger than ours. They had large heads. And some of the beings that I did see on the ship, which was a shock to me, I hadn't read anything on this in the past or even since, but I saw two beings that were probably 10 or 11 feet high, and they were the same general similar body, you know, format, I'll call it, as the other beings that I've seen, except they were just huge, and uh, they were dressed in black. So they had different uniforms and different colors on board this vessel. And the vessel was massive. I, I didn't even get to see a porthole or a window or anything else because I was trying to get an assessment as to mm-hmm. you know where I was and how big this vessel was. And there wasn't even a, a sense of motion. I can only assume that we were moving, but on board this vessel, like, you know, when you're in an airplane, there's always a, a sense of motion, whether it's speeding up or slowing down or turbulence. This thing was completely smooth. You know, I have no idea where I was, to be honest with you, uh, other than obviously, you know, not in my car anymore, and um, and, the, the, and the place was clean. It was immaculate. Like, it wasn't uh, organic or anything like this. It was uh, it was like going to a real stale hospital, hmm. might be the way to describe it. And it, everything was clean. It was just amazing. And a well-lit, there wasn't any unusual smells in the place. And what really disturbed me through part of this experience was the fact that I'd actually seen other people lying in these beds and they looked like they were sleeping but they were people some were in flannel pajamas some were in flannel shirts some of them had leather jackets you know they were looked like they they just took a smattering of people from all over the place and had them on this ship and that what really upset me was the fact that this was going on and no one knew about it you know I, I didn't know about it I didn't know to the extent that this was happening and I think it was also a sense of how how helpless I was in this particular position but what changed everything, Rob, and this is going back to your original question, what changed everything was towards the end of my experience, this being came to me and um, just emanated this incredible love and compassion. Uh, it was just an, a remarkable experience. I hadn't really ever felt that kind of love uh, from anyone here on earth, to be honest with you. It's just a—it's really difficult to describe. And her message to me And her feeling was, you know what, that they're trying to help us, that they're here trying to help us, that they're really concerned about our future and the challenges that we're going to have to face. That was really the message. And I don't, someone asked me a long time ago, do you think they were just lying to you? And there was, uh, you know, I had no, I am so convinced that this was exactly what she was Mm -hmm. telling me and that the feelings themselves were absolutely genuine, that I don't have any sense that I was being deceived on that part of it. So I always believe now that, I completely believe that these beings are here to help us, but that the experience that they have to do and what they're doing is very difficult, both for us and obviously for
2: them. Tell me, Jim, to the best of your knowledge, is there any kind of scientific evidence that would, you know, for the, for the presence of extraterrestrials from any place or with any any motive?
3: Ah. Oh, well, right now I think there's a couple of things. The evidence is there. <laughs> it's just a matter of looking for it. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll maybe just go back a little bit to explain my reasoning and rationale for that. Sure. In my earlier career I was involved with health and safety doing investigations and part of my investigation process was also doing health assessments and hazard assessments on workplaces. We measured everything from radiation hazards on nuclear gauges to uh, chemical hazards and chemical exposures. Mm-hmm. And part of our research and evaluation of that environment meant that a lot of it had to do with assessing what to look for. So unless you know what you're looking for, it's difficult to determine and, and have the evidence that you need to assess or, or you know evaluate. So in this situation, what I'm saying is that with, there's evidence there, but I don't believe we are, we are looking in the right places to find, for example, physical evidence of abductions. So I believe there's evidence there. There's physical evidence there, and we could certainly prove it conclusively scientifically. But right now, Rob, yeah. no one's really taken that torch and kind of run with it. And because we don't have a lot of you know, financial commitments from large organizations to do that kind of research yet. You know, some people have tried a little bit, but to, you know, not very successful at this point. And and on a grander scale, right now I was also on the uh, just on the phone just two days ago with uh, our former minister of defence, uh, Paul Hellier. Yes. And uh, we were discussing, you know, vehemently essentially what kind of policy decisions that the governments need to do, uh, and what kind of evidence that needs to be presented forward to the particular governments. And we're, we're both convinced right now that there's enough evidence conclusively to prove that, you know, extraterrestrials are here. But, Paul,
2: I'm sorry, Jim, there's something I don't understand. There is legislation to protect Bigfoot, and yet there's no legislation whatsoever or no plan of action when it comes to the ET scenario. Why not?
3: Really good question, Rob. Oh, man, I think that right now there's a lot of policy, people in, Sorry, people in charge of policy decisions right now mm-hmm. don't know how to deal with this phenomenon.
2: They deal and with Bigfoot not... for goodness' sake. Why can't they? You know, like why can't they just <laughs> open their eyes, open their brains, and say, "Well, you know, we're protecting a big hairy <laughs> monster that nobody knows exists." <laughs> but when it comes yeah. to the extraterrestrial scenario, UFOs, that are a worldwide phenomenon, there are photographs. There are there's you know, there's first-class testimony like yours, there's the the evidence, radar tracking, pilots, astronauts, and yet it seems that for one reason or another, Jim, nobody's taking this seriously.
3: It certainly seems that way, Rob, you know, but yet there's a lot of people who are beginning to step forward and who are taking it very seriously. And I think that it's it's easy to be disheartened by the me. current state of affairs with respect to you know the demand for policy decisions, the demand for better information on this particular subject, and the demand for greater research in this area. What we need to do is number one, educate ourselves about what's actually happening, and then number two, continue to push and pursue political avenues for creating change in this particular area. And I don't know if it's going to be easy. I I'm kind of uh, Gosh, you know, I'm kind of somewhat disillusioned in that area myself because mm-hmm. I understand how the political nature works. I think we may actually find ourselves in a situation where we're dealing with the Gulf incident, you know, and, and I accept it's going to be a UFO incident. In other words, there's going to be such a dramatic incident that, you know, governments are going to have to find a way to respond to it, and mm-hmm. they're going to be struggling with how to just do that. So uh, I think that's pr- pretty much the way it's going to unfold. I just I hope it doesn't happen that way, but... I think let, it just might.
2: Let me ask you this, my friend. How would you set up a response to UFOs? You have not only the ET experience, but you definitely have massive experience when it comes to, uh, you know, the health and safety aspect of, of citizens. Yeah. So how would you how would you head it?
3: Well, Rob, you interesting. Interestingly enough, in pandemic planning. Pandemic planning actually came out, this is a long way of answering it, but in pandemic planning, we were looking at the idea of panic in the the population and how to deal with a crisis in which, you know, a disease is killing lots of people. Some work had been done previously to this on bioterrorism. In other words, how do we respond to a bioterrorist attack? You know, how does the government respond to it? And uh, the idea of panic came up, and research into panic came up. And what we understand from all of that work and all of that research is that the first thing is is that public panic is really actually very rare, and it's most rare when the public has been candidly informed. So to answer your question, the first thing we need to do is announce that the UFO phenomenon is real. We may not have all the answers, and even the politicians who are announcing it may not have all the answers about where they come from and what they're doing. But it's really important that they, first of all, announce that it's real, and then put in a process of communication that at least has the projection of transparency. Because there's a lot of people, even if the government announced it now, the way it's been handled in the past, there's going to be a lot of mistrust towards the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why would I believe you now? <laughs> so you've been, you've been yeah. lying to me for 60 years. Or, even if you tell me that UFO phenomenon is real, how can I trust any further information coming from you? You know, this is an example
2: that, I, that I've used many times. You know, if the president of the United States or the prime minister of Canada decided to call a news conference pertaining to extraterrestrials, and they announced that, listen, we've gone through all our files, we da-da-da-da-da-da, and there is no proof, or if they went the other way and said, yes, they are here, nobody would believe them.
3: I know. It's, it's it's one of the biggest things, Rob, they're going to have to deal with is the issue of public trust. And the only way that they're going to be able to build that trust mm-hmm. is to reevaluate what they're doing and, and to put systems in place that do that. So you have to come up and be transparent about what you're doing. So my guess is you're going to have to have a committee that's going to be made up of, I'll call them stakeholders, in other words, people who've been researching the UFO right. phenomena for a long time, probably you're going to have to interject it with some other people as well, maybe some people from the public. Hey, well listen, and to- uh,
2: you and I have to oh. take a commercial break, but I must tell you, as a Canadian, you've got my vote.
3: <laughs> Thanks,
2: Rob. Alright, Jim Maroney my special guest. www.aufosg.com That's the Alberta UFO Study Group. And Jim's the author of the Extraterrestrial Answer Book. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, here in the Exxon.
3: in your
0: eyes I could never read your
2: eyes So lost in love was I It always take me by surprise You were dreaming of the Southland Are you love We we played this song because it's entitled Springtime in Alberta by Ian Tyson. But Ian, come on, get to the title for goodness sake. We've only got four <laughs> minutes and fifty seconds in this segment. Jim, as always, great having you with us. Uh, congratulations on your new book and please give my very best to all the great members of the Alberta UFO study group. But I but I have to I, I have to ask you to to if you could come to the conclusion on how citizens around the world could, could prepare themselves and get ready for the coming ET presence.
3: Well, what we know right now, Rob, is that this is one of the most exciting times in all of human history, without question, and that this is going to be a big struggle, and it's going to be a personal struggle for all of us. What we need to do to prepare individually is, number one, educate yourself. And it's a tough, tough you know, a road to hoe because there's a lot of misinformation out there. But do your best to educate yourself about what's happening. Secondly, if you have some kind of spiritual practice, whatever that is, whatever that may be, spend a little bit of time in that spiritual practice, a little bit more of an effort mm-hmm. than you had in the past. That's the other thing I would do. But let and me ask you about spirituality.
2: Three, How? All right, give me number three, and then I've got a question
3: for you. Well, and number three is that just remember that just because you have an abduction experience or whatever doesn't make you different than other people. In fact, there's a a greater connection with other people than you really felt in the past, and so you shouldn't feel isolated or remote from
2: other people. How do you think the the proof positive to the masses that extraterrestrials really do exist will affect the established religious philosophies on this planet? (laughs)
3: Well, there's, they're going to have challenges, for yeah, sure.
2: No, no, we know the Pope's but, going to be out of a job, okay. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. But what we also know mm-hmm. is that these religions have continued to evolve yeah. over many, many years. I really believe that ultimately, Rob, in the end, that any religion that promotes the degradation of another person or to promote themselves over somebody else or promotes violence Mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be any place for them, you know, for that kind of belief system yeah. in, in the future. So I think they're going to be able to adapt. I think that many of them can. They're just going to change. I mean, that's what's been happening for thousands of years. All the major world religions have adapted and changed. Um, I think they're just going to have to be faced with another adaptation, and they probably will.
2: Are UFOs uh, still being cited over Alberta?
3: They are. Uh, they're still in increasing numbers. And it seems to be, not just because people are willing to report it or feeling a little bit easier uh, or at ease about reporting them, Mm -hmm. but there actually seems to be a a continual increase in the activity of these uh, UFOs. So I think there's a a general strategy that's unfolding for the extraterrestrials, that they're giving us an an appropriate time to get used to the idea that they're here. It's going to be really intriguing when they decide that that humanity needs to know that they're here with
2: certainty. Hey, Jim, great having you on the show. Again, congratulations on your new book, The Extraterrestrial Answer. And, uh, you know, keep the great work up because, uh, you know, we need people like you out there, Jim, who've had the experience, who have the ability to think straight. And please keep spreading the word.
3: Will do, Rob. Thank you so much for this opportunity, and have yourself a wonderful day.
2: You take care of yourself, my good friend. And once again, my regards to all the other members of the Alberta UFO Study Group. ExoNation, www.aufosg.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exone continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. (music)